uh, I seem to always find myself sharing stories of my wife and I's vacations uh, when, I, when I speak on Sunday mornings. And so um, this is a story that took place this last year on our vacation. We actually went to Mexico. We went to Mexico, went to an all-inclusive resort uh, in Mexico, and that's the way we go, all-inclusive. Uh, I'm, I'm a budgeter, and so when I go on vacation, I wanna know the exact amount of money that I'm gonna spend before I leave, and that's why I go to all-inclusives. Your food is already covered, there's some already some activities that are covered, and so there's no surprises when you go to an all-inclusive, because I can tell my wife, everything's done. It's already paid for, you do what you can do for free, and, and this is it. So we go to, we go to Mexico and uh, they got the picture up there, or they're about to show a picture. Um, when we get there, we, we, just like every other time, I've shared stories about snorkeling and, and all of these things on our vacations. But we met with the, the tour guide at the, at the hotel uh, and we begin to say, hey, what is it in Mexico that we can do? And my wife, she has this thing that she wants to see the seven new wonders of the world. Um, and one of them is in Mexico. It's called the Shinitza, uh, it's the Mayan uh, caves. And they got a picture, they're gonna put this up there. And so we're like, okay, well, tell us the details. We're only there for four days. And he goes, well, it's a half-day tour. I'm like, okay, good. Because here, here's the thing. I didn't wanna spend a full day away from a hotel that I already paid for with free food that I already paid for um, to go and, and visit something else. So I tell my wife, like, this is gonna be an all-day thing. And she's like, no, like, they said it's a half a day. And so he's like, you gotta, you gotta be here. The bus is gonna pick you up at 5.30 a.m. I'm like, we're gonna miss the free breakfast that we paid for already. And then we're like, well, what time do we get back? And he said, well, probably around three o'clock. And I'm like, okay, we missed the free breakfast, so this is, this is not a lie. Um, I tell her the night before dinner, go and get some fruit from the dinner thing, from the little buffet, because we're gonna have our free breakfast. It's just gonna look a little differently. So we grab some fruit from the buffet and we take it to our room so that we have our breakfast in the morning. And we, we get there at 5.30 and the bus picks us up. And then we, we, we go around and we go to another place, some other hotels, and pick up more people and... We're driving, it's about a two hour drive to, to this, see this right here, which I could have, you could put the picture back up there. I could have Google Images and saw the same thing, I just want you to know, <laughs> which is what I tried to get her to do. Uh, we could have sat in the nice hotel bed um, at the pool and Google Imaged the exact same thing that we saw. We drove two hours there um, and then we were like, okay, this is cool, like I'm ready to go. Uh, it's pouring down the rain and we get in the bus and we start heading back. I'm looking at the time, it's like we're gonna be back right around three o'clock, this is perfect. There was a, I'm a huge college football fan and there was, a, there was a major game that was going on that night that I wanted to get back and I wanted to go eat some nachos, free nachos, while I watched the game. And uh, the bus on the way back begins to make all these unscheduled stops. So we stop at this like little shop place and I'm like, what in the world? Like, so then, they, then all the people, they begin out and buy lunch. So people are buying lunch, and I'm like, I got free lunch at the hotel. I don't, I don't wanna spend more money, I, I don't wanna buy lunch. And so I told Roxy, this is not a lie. We're fast until we get back. We're not spending, we're not spending any more money. We already paid for lunch. Don't, don't like, let's just, we're not even gonna do it. So we, we manage, and then we get back on the bus, and now it's about 3.30 p.m. We were supposed to be back at three o'clock. We're 30 minutes late. It's pouring down the rain. And the bus makes another stop. And I asked the tour guide, I said, hey, my hotel said we're gonna be back around three o'clock. It's like now four o'clock. He goes, oh, this tour goes till 7 p.m. You're not gonna, we, we're gonna make a lot of stops on the way back. And I, and I look at Roxy and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. The game starts at six. I haven't eaten other than a little apple that we took for free breakfast. Um, I'm, I'm not spending more money, we, we already have done this. 
We make a stop, we make another stop. I'm getting a little frustrated. Um, we're back in the bus now, it's about 6.45 p.m. and we're still driving. Uh, we have not made it back to the hotel. And we're about 45 minutes away from the hotel and then the bus begins to make this noise that just doesn't sound right. A little, a little crackling, like a little noise. Our bus driver begins to pull over onto the side of the road and the tour guide comes on and says these words, we're having a little bit of difficulties. Now, I've already had difficulties. I'm late, I want, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten, but I have free food that I've already paid for that I could be eating all day, and I'm supposed to be watching the game right now. The bus driver leaves, and he's looking underneath the engine of the bus, and then he comes back onto the bus and tells us, we have some, some, some bad news to tell you. We're gonna be here for a little while. We can't fix the problem, and so we've called another bus to come and pick you up. They'll be here in about 30 minutes. Cool. I get out my phone. I got about 6% left in my battery because we've been gone all day, and I try to stream the game that I'm trying to watch in a bad mood. 30 minutes later, my phone begins to die, and I ask the tour guide, hey, it's been 30 minutes. Is there a bus coming to get us? Let's call the bus and find out. We, he calls the bus and then begins to tell us, the whole bus full of people, that the bus hasn't left yet and it's gonna be another 30 minutes. The bus was broke down, which means that this is August in the middle of Mexico. It's kind of dangerous. Just, there's no air because the bus is broken. It's all of these people that are now sweating and that are hungry, that have not eaten, and everybody's kind of in a bad mood. Everybody except for me decides to leave the bus, but my bad mood keeps me on the bus, and they're all outside, like they're trying to make the best of the best of the situation. I don't play that. I'm mad, I'm upset. I go to my wife and say, give me your phone. I take her phone, I'm trying to stream the game, I'm sweating, and then I'm all by myself. Everybody else, I look out and they're kinda like, they look like they're trying to have fun, so I'm like, okay, let's, let's see what, what's going on. I leave the bus and, and go and get in this crowd of people only to realize that there are so many bugs in the middle of mosquitoes in the middle of Mexico when it's August and it's 110 degrees outside and nobody has anything to drink. No one has eaten anything. I'm sweating. I can't watch the game and I have free food that is waiting on me that I can't eat because I can't get there. And I paid $200 to be on this tour that now a bus has broken down. I'm making, long story short, uh, it's about 11 p.m. when we get back to the, to the hotel. And I tell you that story just to tell you this thing. Isn't it something that when we have an expectation of something and it doesn't turn out the way that we think it should turn out or the way that we want it to turn out, it leaves us frustrated? And maybe you're in a place that where you thought you would be in life right now isn't the way that it's turning out and it leaves you in a place of frustration. Maybe your family, maybe your your kids, you thought they would be at a place now that what you thought isn't lining up with where they really are and it leaves you at a place of frustration. Maybe not just your life, let's bring it spiritually. Maybe in your walk with God, maybe you expected a miracle to take place. Maybe you expected God to, to show up in a certain situation or, or a circumstance in your life and you thought that he was going to do it at a certain time or a certain way and because God hasn't showed up now, it's left you in a place where you are Frustrated, frustrated with yourself, frustrated with the people around you. I got mad at my wife and she, because she took me on this bus that broke down, but really, I mean, she didn't break the bus. 
There was nothing that she could really do about it. I was frustrated many times when we walk into situations and they're not turning out the way that we want them or think they should, it leaves us frustrated. The title of my sermon is Choices. Because the reality is, is no matter where you are in life, whether you're frustrated, whether things are going great, you have choices to make. Choices because no matter the situation, uh, you can have a choice to stand on what the word of God says, that he is going to come through, that he is there, that you are not alone. Choices to stand on that or choices to allow your frustrations and pressures to cause you to forget what God says. Good, bad, hard times. We still have choices in the middle of those. Our body is made up of billions of these things called cells. And if our body is made up of billions of cells, our life is made up of billions of these things called choices and decisions that you and I make every day. And wouldn't it be nice if life just, wouldn't it be nice if everything that I read on the menu um, to make on that tour and you got to see everything, wouldn't it be nice if it just worked out perfectly? And wouldn't it be nice if there was never any problems or there were never any struggles, but the reality is is life just doesn't work that way sometimes. And the Bible actually tells us that it won't work out all the time just that way. Jesus warns us in John 16, 33, where he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now the title's choices, but if I could subtitle this message, uh, it would be real life drama. Real life drama, because sometimes things don't work out the way we think they should. And what I found out in my life is when things don't work out the way that I think they should, it always creates drama, especially in the story. We're going to read in in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 5. It says, sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and and your reward will be great. Verse two, but Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son since you've, never, since you, you've given me no children? Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own, and he will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. The tension begins now. What happens with when I read something in the Bible or when the pastor says something and it's going to work out this way, but what I see in my life doesn't seem to line up with each other? What happens when I I read that, that Jesus is my healer, but The doctor report says something different, the the tensions. We see that God gives Abraham a promise, but the problem is 10 years later, there's no son to Abram. God says, Abram, you will have a son, but 10 years later, later, Abram is still looking up at the same stars in the same sky in the same situation with no promise fulfilled. What do you do? Genesis chapter 16. It says, now Sarai, that was Abram's wife, was unable to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal 
Abram takes one for the team. He's like, well, if you, I mean, if you say it, I guess I just gotta do what, what you want me to do. Perhaps I can have children through her, and Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram's wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Now, the first response that we have when what we see doesn't line up with what the word of God says, when God gives us a promise and 10 years later, that promise isn't fulfilled and we're left in this frustration period. In our frustration, the first thing that typically happens is we forget what God said. It's easy to say, I forget what God said. In our fast-paced society of, I want this and I need this, I can order it on Amazon, it'll be at my house two days later, We try to treat God this way of, well, God said, and so if I don't get it in two weeks or in one month, I forget what God said. Maybe it wasn't God at all. Mary and Martha, when Lazarus was dead, um, and and Jesus said that this would not end in death, and a few days later, the Bible says that Jesus comes to Mary and Martha, and Martha runs out, and what does she say? Lord, if, if only you were here, you could have done something, but you didn't. She forgot that Jesus said it would not end in death. Martha says, if only God had been there. See, we we all have choices. We can either stand on the word of God that says, even if I don't see it yet, I know God said it. Last time I, a couple times ago, I preached on Sunday morning, I think it was the last time, was a couple weeks after my dad received his salvation. For 16 years, um, I prayed for my dad day in and day out. Uh, he, was, he was a heavy alcoholic. He was, he was, he was an abusive uh, to my mom, and there was all of these things that worked into it. And at 15 years old, I felt like God said that through my life, my dad would receive Jesus. It only took 15 years of praying that prayer every day, and there was many times that I wanted to forget what God said. It would have been easy to say, okay, God, I must have missed it. You didn't really say that, but I still did it. I still did it, you have choices. I had a choice to say, okay, I believe what God says or I must have missed that one, choices. The first response that we have when we don't see what God says is to forget it. Maybe that wasn't God at all. Sarah's in this moment right now of, I don't know. Like Abram, you told me that God said we were gonna have a son but it doesn't look like I can do that. I can't produce, I'm not good enough So let me, you gotta do this another way. Verse number four. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And now the real life drama begins to take place. Verse number five. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. Sarah, the one that said, go and do this. Now she says, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. With contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Verse six, Abram replied, look, she's your servant. Do with her as you see fit. And then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. A three-way triangle of drama and mess. Many times when we, when we don't, things don't work out the way that we think they're going to work out or the way that they should work out, we get this thing called frustrated. 
And in our frustration, there is always drama and messes that are created. And all of this drama was created from a promise of God. Just because you have drama in your life right now and frustrations don't mean that God didn't speak because God spoke and that caused some of this frustration. 10 years of not seeing it, what is it that God has spoken to you that you haven't seen yet? What, what I feel like God said that we needed to share today was what was a dream that you've had that maybe 10 years has passed and you haven't seen it so now you've forgotten that dream. All this drama and all this frustration and I love how the Bible gives us the real life drama because it makes me feel better about my life. I like that Sarah and Abram are blaming each other and the Bible allows us to see this because it makes my life look so much better when me and my wife get into an argument. Okay, I'm the only one, praise God. All three of these people have frustrations and they're all for three different reasons. Sarai couldn't believe the God's provision over her life anymore because it seemed impossible. She was barren and couldn't deliver what God asked her to do. There are people in this room that you've lost the promise that God has given you because you feel like you can't do it. You're not good enough to produce the kind of things that God wants you to produce. She feels like it's her fault and she's not good enough. She has everything that she wants. She has a life that, she, that, that is perfect. She's married to Abram, he's the man. But there's one thing that she can't do. She's trying to do the right thing, but the wrong way. Abram, he's kind of caught in the middle of this frustration and this things of like, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what I should do. I'm trying to do what Sarah said, but now I'm in trouble and I don't know. Hagar, she's burdened because she's now carrying something that she was never meant to carry. And she's frustrated. And all three of these people, they have choices that they can make. No matter where you are in your life, no matter the chaos, no matter the, the impossibility that you think you're facing, you have a choice and the choices that you decide to make today determine what pla takes place tomorrow. They're all blaming each other and because of their blaming each other, they can't receive the blessing that God's trying to give them. And we can look at our life and we can look at drama and we can look at frustrations and we can blame, well, it's your fault and it's your fault and it's the church's fault and it's this person's and it's that person's because nobody said to me. And when we continue to blame each other, we miss the blessing that God's trying to give us. Frustration, drama, life's going to happen and they're all frustrated for many different reasons. Maybe you feel like Sarah in the room and you're frustrated because you can't deliver or you feel like you're not good enough. Or maybe you're Abram in the room and you feel like you're caught in the middle and you're trying to make everybody happy. Maybe you're a parent in the room and you're trying to make your kids happy and you're trying to make your spouse happy and you're just caught in the middle and you're left frustrated. Or maybe you're Hagar and you're frustrated because of what somebody else has told you that you had to do or what somebody else has done to you. I'm not sure why. But one thing that I know is that when all hell's breaking loose in your life, you do have a choice to make. You do have a choice to make, and because of our choices, things can get better or things can get worse. The last time that I, I preached on, on Sunday morning, I brought a mirror out here. And, and, and the Bible says that David, he began to encourage himself in the Lord. And what I wanna tell you today is joy in your life is a choice. Even when hell's breaking loose in your life, even when you're frustrated, even when you don't see it, when you wake up in the morning, you have an opportunity to say, I choose joy today. 
Peace is a choice in your life. You can, you can sit and you can think about all of your situation and you can think about all of your worries and you can think of everything or you can wake up in the morning and you say, you know what? I choose to be at peace today. Forgiveness in your life is a choice. You can choose in your life to say, I know what people have done to me and I know the hurt that's there and I know the pain that's there and I can hold on to that or I can choose to forgive them and let God be God. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. It says that David thinks himself happy. In Acts 26 2, this is Paul. He says, I think myself happy. I think myself, thinking yourself happy is a choice. You have a choice of what ponders in your mind and what you continue to think about and what you continue to release. David says he encouraged himself in God. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, says, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because of the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. Going back to this real life family drama, verse seven of Genesis chapter 16, it says this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah replied. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah replied, or Hagar replied. The first thing that we do when we have frustrations in our life is we forget the promises of God. The second thing that we do when we have frustrations in our life is we run from God. We run away. We run from God. I, this wasn't God that spoke to me. This isn't, I'm totally running away. At Dr. Phillips this past Friday night, I shared a story when I was 15 years old. This story, I had my learner's permit and I was just now learning how to drive. And we were at a funeral of my stepdad's dad in West Virginia. And being a 15-year-old kid, my, my, my main goal uh, of the night was to find somebody that would let me drive home in my learner's permit. That was my goal at 15 years old. All I wanted to do was just drive. And so I begin to walk around and everybody's mourning, you know, a funeral and I'm just like, hey, can I drive? Hey, can I, can I drive home? I'm, I have a learner's permit now, I'm 15. Like I got it all together, will you let me drive? And I found one person, she was my mom's friend. Her name was Susan that said, yeah, you can, you can drive home. She said, but you can't drive my car because it's a stick shift and I don't know that you can drive a stick shift. And I said, oh, I, I can. I'll show you that I can. I go to the parking lot and I, I back it out and I pull it in, I back it out and I pull it in and I can drive a stick shift. So she said, you know what? Okay, you can drive home. About a half a mile down the road when we pull out of the funeral home, um, there's a stop sign. It's the first stop sign. And now I've never drove in West Virginia where there's, there's mountains and there's hills and it's not just flat. So driving a stick shift is different when there's mountains and there's hills than you know, in the parking lot where you're going forward and backward. Some of you are catching with me. So I, so I make my, my, my stop and I put my signal on and I'm like, I'm 15, I got life together, I know what I'm doing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this, I'm gonna drive all the way home. And I, and I go to turn left up, up the side of the mountain and the car begins to stall out on me because I didn't know how to, I didn't know that I should, you know, give it a little more gas and hold on to the clutch a little bit longer because I was going up a mountain. And at that point, the car began to stall and it died. And then I look over and to my left-hand side, I see a big old truck that's coming down the mountain that has just made this big old turn and they're bawling down. And I look at my mom's friend and I say, we're about to get hit. 
And by the time that I turned over, the car gets hit um, by this big old truck that was coming down the mountain. And this, when, when all the pressure of life and I was so, I didn't know what to do and I was so scared, this was my immediate response. I opened up the car door and I just took off running. I ran as fast as I could possibly run all the way back half a mile to the funeral home. I left the car there. I left my mom's friend there. I left the dude that hit me there and I just took off running. Why? Because the pressure of life, I didn't know what else to do. And sometimes when you get into a place in your life and you're so frustrated and God was supposed to do this and I thought this was going to happen and the weight of life begins to hold on you, for some people, your next response is you just run away because you don't know what else to do. The first step that we do is we forget what God said. The second thing that we do when pressure of life is on us is we run away. And I wonder how many people in this room are running away from a promise that God spoke to you because it didn't happen the way that you thought that it was going to happen, or you didn't get a breakthrough the way that and when you thought you were going to get the breakthrough, so you forgot what God's spoken over you, and now you've ran away. Listen what verse nine says. The angel of the Lord said to her, he's speaking to Hagar again, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority authority. Hagar had a choice to make. All the things that were happening to her, all of her frustrations, all of her cares, all of her worries, she had a choice to make and she decided that she would run. And when God came back to her, here's what he says to her. He says, Hagar, return to the thing that you're running from and submit to her authority. And this is what I felt like the verse, the main verse that I felt like God put on my heart to share today because there are people that are running away from a call that God has on your life because of life and pressure and it didn't happen and this didn't happen and all of these things and this is what God says. Return to the promise that God gave you. Return to the promise that God gave you and submit to the authority. Return to the promise that I gave you that your son or your daughter, they will be saved. Return to the promise that I gave you that this would take place, that a healing would be there, that a ministry that you wanted to start would be there. When the pressures of life get on us, many times we forget what God told us and we run away from it, but God says return to the promise because it wasn't a dead promise. It was a promise that I gave to you, and I love Pastor Mark. Uh, He's my best friend, he spoke at the 11 o'clock service and he he spoke a lot about this and I was gonna mention it too Um, and so we started talking about it uh, this morning and he says to her to submit to the authority. What God says is return to the promise that I gave to you and submit to my authority. What does that mean? Submit to my authority is this. When we give something to God and we submit it to him, it's in his control. But many times what we do is we submit our problem to God and then we put it back in our pocket. So we say, okay, God, here's my problem. Now I'm gonna worship you, all my finances. I trust you and I love you. But then when the tithe bucket goes around, we put our submitting back to God back into our pocket. If I submit something, that means it's in your hands. I don't control it anymore. That means if I submit my finances to God, that means that when the tithe bucket begins to come around and I don't know where it's coming from and I don't know, well, but your word says this and so I submit that now to you so that you can work a miracle in my situation. When I submit that, okay, God, I believe that you have a spouse for me, when I submit that, that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, match.com, kind of like, you know, trying to 
trying to date around and trying to fill it and you know, I'm trying to sleep around, I'm trying to try it before you buy it and all these things, but I'm submitting it to God. No, you're not. You're not submitting it to God unless you actually allow God to take control of it. Submitting to God says, okay God, I don't have to worry about it, it's yours now, but I also don't take it back. When I submit an application to be approved for something, I submit it and I have no control over it now. It's in their control. When I submit a problem to God, it's in God's control and I don't take that back. When I submit it, I don't say anything else about it, I don't do anything, it's in God's hand. Number one, we forget the promises of God. Number two, we run away from God. But the third thing that I believe that God asks us to do and the only thing that he asks us to do is to stay strong in the process. Stay strong in the process. One of my favorite Bible verses is Paul and Silas when they're thrown into prison and what, what happens when God tells you something and you do what God told you? What happens when you really do submit it and you give your tithe check but the problem gets worse? Do we take it back and say, okay, it's not submitted anymore? Do we say, okay, God, it got worse but I still submit it to you? Paul and Silas, they were preaching the gospel and the Bible says that they, they get thrown into prison. They, be getting beat, they get beat and flogged and they're thrown into prison. Their situation, it's not now, it's not just getting mocked. Now they've been beaten, now they've been thrown into prison, and now they're, they're shackled and they're chained down. What happens when we start to obey what God says and our problems get worse? Do we, still, do we forget what God said? Do we run away or do we stay strong in a process? Paul and Silas, they get thrown in the prison and they're, they're in the dungeon and they're there and the Bible says that they begin to sing songs of worship and praise and hymns. When it got worse, they stayed strong in the process. I wanna share a, a kind of an emotional story that I haven't got to share yet with you, um, but now it's, it's, it's full-fledged and there's a testimony from it so I can now share. What happens when God tells you something but you don't see it taking place? Look, do you, do you hide it? Do you say that, okay, well, God didn't say that. It must have been the Taco Bell that I ate the night before or, or, or it was the Doritos or it was my emotions or, look, I believe that God speaks to you. And when God speaks to you, we don't blame it on the Taco Bell. We don't, we don't come back and say, well, maybe I, just, maybe I just thought it up. No, God speaks to us. But what we do is when we get frustrated in our lives, when we get frustrated because it doesn't look the way and it doesn't turn out the way that we think that it's gonna turn out, we begin to say, well, I must have not heard from God. And we forget what God, there are dreams inside of this room that need to be birthed, but we forgot the dreams because they didn't take place and we thought they should have took place. Or we had a frustration in our life and now we're running away from the dreams and we're hiding away from them. Just like Hagar began to run away and she hid. God says, bring your dreams back out. Bring your dreams back out. My wife and I, when we got married, we've been married for seven and a half years and you can play Austin. After about two years of marriage, um, we, we started to have real conversations about like, actually really about a year after marriage, like, hey, when, when are we gonna start a family? When, 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 when do we, we start to, to try to have a baby? And we decided after about a year of marriage, like, let, let's go ahead and start. Like, well, you know, we're, we're ready. We, we got good jobs. Like, like, we wanna have a family. And so for two years, we, we try to have a family. We, we work on it, we, we look at the calendar every month, and this is adults in the room, and so you know, like, like we're, we're trying the process, it's not like we're sitting on the, you know, we're, we're trying to, to make this thing happen, we're doing what God told us to do, we're trying to be fruitful and multiply, and two years goes by and there's nothing there. 
There's nothing there. And so we say, well, you know what? Maybe we should start to go see a doctor just to find out. Like, well, you know, and maybe peace of mind. Like, maybe we're just worried. Maybe we're stressed. And we, we go to a doctor, and there's some blood tests that are a little bit lower. And right after going to the doctor, my, my wife got pregnant. And it was like, wow, like, we didn't need the doctor. Like, it must have just been like a worry on our mind. But like, God's so good. And two years of a struggle. And now we got a story we can share. And... 10 weeks after my wife shared the news with me that she was pregnant, I, I, w- I was here, it was, a, it was a Tuesday, and I get a phone call from my wife that says, hey, I'm, I'm leaving work, I'm on my way to the emergency room, I'm, I'm starting to bleed and I don't feel good. I go to the emergency room and, and we sit there and the doctor comes in and we're worried and we don't, we don't, we don't really know what's going on and he, he tells us that, hey, I'm so sorry, but there's, there's no heartbeat left and what happens when God tells you? What happens when we felt like after two years of struggling and she got pregnant, this was God saying, I see you, you're faithful and I'm, I'm blessing you. What happens when you do all the right things and the problem still gets worse? What happens when you pay your tithes and you're still losing your house? Do you decide to forget what God said and go and do what the world says? Do you decide to hide from God or do you decide, look, I know it doesn't look good, but I'm gonna stay strong in the process because I know I serve a God that's able. We, that, was, that was four years ago and we say, you know what, let's just go and let's try again and you know you got pregnant and so we know that you can and we try for another year and we, we, we try everything that everybody tells us, you know, take your temperature and we're watching the calendar and, and all of these things and we're doing everything right and a whole year goes by and, and there's nothing. What happens when you're doing all the right things but you never see any progress? What happens when you read your Bible but you don't feel like God's speaking to you about your situation? We went through a moment where it was just like, you know what, maybe I missed it. Maybe God, maybe, maybe we missed it. Maybe we're not supposed to have a family. Like, we're youth pastors. Maybe those are supposed to be our kids. And you allow your mind to begin to speak all these negative things to you. What happens when you're doing all the right things, but you're not seeing the results that you're expecting from God? Do you decide to walk away? Do you decide to blame everybody like Sarah did and looked at Abram and say, this is your fault? Do you decide to run away like Hagar? Or do you say, I'm gonna be Paul and Silas and stay strong in my process? We, we go back to the doctor and we feel like God says that, and we're, we're doing some, some research and we found out about in vitro fertilization and we, we start fundraising and people start getting behind it and so we feel like, okay, this is, you know, God's giving us a green light, let's go and let's do this. And we literally go into the doctor's office and we sign a contract that we're going to do in vitro fertilization. It's about $26,000 in this contract that we signed. And the only way that you can get out of this contract is literally like she was, she was like we had one month like because of her cycle days or whatever when it had to start. Um, and we were gonna start the day that we signed it because she was on like the perfect day. But we had to pay all this extra money to get like medicines like fast shipped and all of this stuff in. And I was like, you know what, baby, just let's calm down. Let's wait one month. Like it's, we've been waiting for four years. One month's not gonna hurt us, Okay. So we agreed, that month she gets pregnant. And we think, yeah, we think the miracle of God, right? 
Look, God, that's so funny. Like, God is so crazy. He gives us a story, like, and it was literally the last moment, and God's never late. Ten weeks later, I get a phone call. It's a Tuesday afternoon. She's crying, and she says, you know what? I'm, I, don't, I don't feel good, and I know it's the same as the first one. I'm, I'm on my way to the hospital. Can you meet me there? I go to Pastor Alex's office and I knock on his door and I say, hey, can you pray with me? Roxy doesn't feel well. I had 25 interns here that day and, and I got them like covered with somebody that's gonna kind of help them for the day and I, I go to the hospital and the doctor comes in and she says, I'm so sorry. And we look at each other and we say, but I thought that was the promise of God being fulfilled inside of our lives. I thought like, I don't understand to be honest, as a pastor and somebody that preaches and, and reads the word every day, what I wanted to do was crawl into a hole and hide. I didn't wanna to talk to anybody, I didn't wanna pray. I was so confused and, and I didn't understand what was going on. We look at each other and we go, I, I don't understand, and I don't, I don't know, and, and I don't know why we go through the things that we go through, but I do know that God does have a plan and he has a purpose for every bit of our struggles. A year, we, we, we begin to try again, and a year goes by, and we're trying, and we're trying, and we're trying, and we're trying. One day, my wife comes to me, and she goes, you know what? I feel like God's speaking to me, and I feel like he's telling me that we should just, that, that, that we're, we're supposed to adopt. And I said, yeah, after we have three kids, and we're gonna adopt one. This is what we've been talking about, you know, our whole life. This, this is, we, we, we both wanted to adopt, and I say, you know what? Let's, let's go in prayer, and let's figure out what, what God is saying, and we both came to each other about a week later, and we both felt like God said yes, that we're supposed to adopt, and that was a plan for, for our family, and we come back to each other, and we begin this process, and we've been going through these things, and I say all of this, and, and I don't understand why we go through certain things that we go through. I don't understand why we go through struggles that we go through and pain that we go through, but I know that God's got a plan, he's got a purpose. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that he works for the good of all of those who love him, okay? And so we, we go through this adoption process, and, and uh, you can come up, babe. And, and we, we just adopted a baby girl, and, but before you clap, just let me tell you the, the story. You come right here, you don't have to come up there. You come right here. And uh, in all of my pain, and all of my struggle and all of my frustrations. When we met a mom in March and eight days later, uh, she, we were in the hospital and we were, we were uh, uh, watching our, our baby be, be born and, and ever since she's been born now, she's, she's seven and a half weeks, she'll be eight weeks. Um, I've never one time questioned God's plan. I've never one time thought and said, oh my God, and, I, and as I was preparing this message, I begin to think, I've never one time questioned and say, well, what about my pain? What about my struggle, God? Through, through this adoption process, my wife and I, we have personally got to counsel about 20 families that are also struggling with, with um, infertility and are thinking about adoption and thinking about these things. And, and when the Bible says that I work the good of all of those who love him, I look at my pain and I look at my struggle and I look at ours, and every day we look at each other and we say it was so worth it. It was so worth it. And listen, I don't know when your breakthrough comes through, but I do know one thing, that if God spoke a promise to you, God didn't lie to you. And whatever that promise was, if it was a ministry that you're to start, I heard a pastor, you can sit, babe, thanks. I heard a pastor say this, he said the hardest thing, there's only one thing harder than waiting on God, and that's wishing that you would have waited on God. There's only one thing harder than waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled in your life, and that's wishing that you would have waited on the promises of God. 
I think about my dad. When I think about that, the only thing harder than waiting on the promise of God is wishing that I would have. And I think about, wonder if I would have stopped. Where would he be now? As he passed away just a few months ago, I wonder if he would have ever got an opportunity to meet Jesus if I would have stopped after year 12 or year 13. And I wonder if, if the hardest thing, if there's only one thing harder than waiting on God and that is wishing that I would have waited on God if I didn't, I wonder where we would be. I wonder where we would be. Now we get to lead families that have come to us and like I said, about 20 families that are thinking about adoption and thinking this process. We just had a conversation with a couple at our gym yesterday and they're struggling and they're going through these things and, and I, like you can look at that, like put that picture back up there. Look, my baby's cuter than all y'all's babies, okay? And so like, you don't even gotta worry. But, but here's the greatest thing. The details that God works. The details that God works. We, look, we looked at pictures of my wife when she was born and we put pictures of Leighton next to my wife and they look identical. They literally look identical to each other. They literally look things, and here's what I believe. I believe that God didn't change my problem, but he changed my perspective through my problem. And I believe that maybe God doesn't, we, we look at God and we say, I need you to fix my problem, I need you to fix these things, and I believe that we've seen God work in our lives and know that he sees our pain, and know that he sees our struggle in a way that many people will never get to because of what we've dealt with. And this is what God says. I don't know how your problem is going to be solved, but I do know that there needs to be a perspective switch at the way that you do look at your problems. Because now I don't look at my problem and say, ooh, I had to adopt because we, 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 we couldn't have our own kids yet. I say, you know what, I got to adopt first before I get to have my own to really show the purposes and the promises of God so that I could mentor and I could counsel other families through a situation and through an instance. And I believe this. I believe that I'll still stand on this stage as I shared it two years ago, that I'll stand on this stage and Pastor Alex and he'll, he'll, he'll um, he will, um, what do you say it? He'll dedicate our baby and there was moments where we never thought that would be. I believe I'll stand on this stage and there'll be some of our own that still do the same thing, but I believe that God had to switch our perspective and tell us, just us personally, adoption wasn't something that you were going to do second, but you were gonna lead the way that families should love and adopt first, and now we'll bless you. Listen, I don't know where your struggle is, but I do know there's people that have forgotten a promise that God has spoken over your life. There are people in this room that you've forgotten a promise, just like Sarah. There are couples in this room that there, there are promises that you thought were going to come from God and you're blaming each other because those promises aren't coming fulfilled and you don't understand why. God says before you, before you get blessed, you have to stop blaming and submit to God. Submit to God. One last story and then I'm gonna close. Another vacation story of me and my wife. We went to New York. I, I say vacation stories like we go on vacation all the time. We go on vacation like once every year and a half, but you know, I don't get out much, so all my stories come from those. My wife and I went to New York, this was four years ago, and the uh, only thing I wanted to do in New York was just ride the subway. I don't know why, I just like, like she wanted to go see plays and stuff, she wanted to spend a lot of money. I'm like, I just wanna spend one dollar and ride a subway. Like it's the greatest thing, it's the greatest thing. So we, we, we go get on the subway, and and I'm like, a, I'm like a math person and a, and a graph person, and so I love like, I just, I just, I wanted to ride the subway. So we ride the subway and we ride the subway, and there was one night, like, you may think my life is lame, and that's okay, but for fun, 
She, like, she wanted to go see a play. I'm like, we don't got that money, but we got 10 bucks. We can ride five different subways and we can just see what happens. Like, this could be fun. True story. So we did. We got a little lost. And if you've ever got lost in New York, like I'm not from New York, um, and so it, it, it's kind of scary when you get lost in a place. We, we get out of a subway, and there's like 15 bazillion people running around, and everybody's like this at the subway. And they're all going different ways, and I'm like with my backpack, my tourist backpack, and Roxy's there, and like people are shoving us and hitting us, and I'm like, can anybody just slow down? Like, I don't know where I am, I don't know where I'm going. I'm in, like, I'm, I'm totally lost, and we're looking at these signs, and we're like, there's like the Z, and the X, and the R, and the Y, and the S, and what do all these things mean? Where the heck are we, and how do we get back to where we're supposed to go? I felt like everybody was moving 1,000 miles per hour. Nobody to ask, like, you're like, hey, can you, oh, cool, that's, that's cool, because they, they don't, like, acknowledge that you're talking to them. In New York, it's like, hey, can you help? Oh, okay, you're busy, I got you. Can you, oh, okay, nobody wants to help. Like, like it was, like, like, crazy. I remember looking over at Roxy in the middle of that subway, and I say, I wonder how many spirit, I wonder how, how many people feel like this spiritually, that they're totally lost, there's nobody to help, and everybody's only concerned about their own life. And the way that I want to end the message tonight is, or today is this, there are people in this room that you, you look around and you look like, well, everybody else knows where they're going. Everybody else has got, they know if they're getting on the R or the S or the T or they're skipping one or, or they're doing all of these things. And look, everybody looks like they're so busy that nobody really is concerned about where I am and, and like that I don't know where I'm going. And so, you know what? We, we get scared and we don't wanna ask people for help because we feel like, well, if they got it all together, nobody wants to help me. Nobody here has got it all together. Nobody, nobody, we're, we're, we're doing life together. There are people in this room that again, you feel alone. You feel like there's a million different choices that you could take and you don't know which one to take and which pathway am I supposed to go and what I wanna let you know is you're not alone. Jesus sees exactly where you are and as a church family, we wanna walk every step with you. We can only walk steps that you allow us to walk with you. A big church like ours, so many people come in every week and we talk on Tuesday mornings as staff. How do we connect with people? How do, we, how do we get to know where everybody is? And we do these prayer cards and we do all of these things, but the reality is, is we, can only, we can only do life with you as much as you allow us to do life with you. And we can't read your mind and we can't do things. And so, but we're here as a church. If you have needs in your life, we're gonna end a little bit, a few minutes earlier. We're gonna go back into a time of worship and the prayer team's gonna come forward. And this is a moment for you to say, you know what? I need, I need somebody in my life. So if you can stand with me, the band's gonna go back and I'm gonna do a quick prayer. And uh, choices, AKA real life drama. It's okay in this place that you can be real with where you are. And it's okay, and you, you, can, you can put all barriers down because we're all real together, and that's why we're here. We didn't put a church together. Pastor Alex didn't build this church 20 or 30, year, 30 years ago so that we could have a church for all perfect people that never need anything. The reason that we do this every Sunday and the reason that we have times of altar is so that you can reflect and you can get a touch from God, that you can meet with God. And listen, if you're in this room and any of these three, if you feel like, man, there's a thousand different ways that I could go and I got a big decision to make and I don't know which way to go, I want you to come up here and we wanna pray over you. If you feel like, you know what, 
I just feel like, like I'm, I forgot what God spoke over me. And maybe it was a promise that was a long time ago or maybe I'm just struggling. We wanna open these altars up to you verse for a moment. And maybe you're real brave and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm running away from God right now. I'm running away from my purpose. I'm running away from dreams and I'm just trying everything else and I'm running away. We wanna open these altars for you just for a moment. So Jesus, I pray that in this moment that every person that needs a touch from you would, be, would feel safe enough and comfortable enough to come and be vulnerable with themselves and say, okay, Jesus, God, I thank you about the woman with the issue of blood that needed you so bad in her life that she came up and she reached out her hand and said that if only if I can get a touch of the train of his robe that I know, that I know, that I know that my life will be okay. God, and I pray for people that are in this room that need to get a touch from you in a moment, in an instant like this, that they would come forward and they would lift up their hands and say, okay, Jesus, I'm submitting my life to you. I'm going after you. I need you in this time. Church, if you need anything from Jesus, we just wanna give you a few moments of reflecting and worship and, and we're gonna have some of our team and leaders to come up and pray. I wanna ask you to join us up at the front just for a few moments. This is for just a few people in the room um, that God wants to heal your heart of something. You have to understand in the story of Hagar and the reason that I use this story was Sarah and Abram made a mistake and they, they got Hagar involved. But when they submitted back to God, you have to understand that God blessed Ishmael, which was the son that was born from Hagar, and Isaac, the true blessing, the real blessing that God was talking about came as well, and they both ended up getting a blessing. And there's somebody in the room that when I said you've ran away from God, you say, yeah, I've already ran away from God and made another mistake, so I'll never get the real blessing that God came. And God said that he, he will bless even the mistake that you made, it will fall underneath his blessing. 
When you ran away, when you come and you submit back to God, the mistakes and the trials and the, the burdens that you're carrying right now and the regret that you have for walking away will still be blessed because God won't forget that. And because the calling is so great on your life and the purpose, he won't allow a mistake that you made when you ran away to get missed. Ishmael still, God still used him for a plan, just like Isaac. And I don't know if that was a, maybe a kid that was born out of wedlock or whatever, and it's a mistake that you feel like, I'll never be blessed because I got this mistake and I got this thing. And your kid is not a mistake. Maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't the original plan or the thing, but look, God's gonna bless you. And God's gonna bless them. If that was you and you're, you're brave enough, can you just raise your hand? If that was you and you feel like I made a mistake and I have a regret that God can't bless me now because of this regret, can you raise your hand? God's gonna heal your heart right now. Raise it up real high, who are you? It might not have been a kid, but right here. Jenny, can you go right back there? Can, we, can you, so God's, gonna, God's gonna bless that. Just for one more minute before we dismiss, please, nobody will dismiss in one minute. If you're okay, can you just lift up your hand and you didn't respond to the altar, maybe you're okay where you are right now. Could you just lift your, spread your hand across for all these people that did? Really quick and just, you, we don't understand the power that prayer has and, and the power that when we begin to speak to God, the things that he works. And Father, we pray over each person that's in this room right now, God. Each person that responded of whether they, they maybe they forgot of something that you've spoken over their lives, God. Maybe they've ran from them, God. Maybe they're running from you right now and, and they don't have a relationship with you. Wherever they are, God, I pray right now that your, 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 your word and that your spirit would minister to them right now, God. God, that right now they would find peace in their heart, God, that they would, they would find joy, God, that if it's regrets that they've made in their past, God, they would begin to release those regrets to you and begin to submit those things to you, God, that they wouldn't allow those things to hold them back, God, that in this moment they would realize that like Paul begin to encourage himself and David begin to encourage himself, God, that they would begin to encourage themselves in you, God, to say that, okay, I know that I made a mistake and I know that I made a regret, but God is forgiving me now. God is stronger than every regret and every mistake that I made. Heal us, God. Heal us, God. Heal us, God. Heal every broken heart, God. Heal every heart that feels like a Hagar, that feels like there's so much pressure, there's so much tension. I just gotta run. I gotta run. I can't sit in this anymore. God, I pray that you would heal them. God, for every marriage that, that begins to blame each other and begin to look at each other with content and being able to, to look at each other and not being fulfilled and happy in their marriage, God, I pray that you would, you would speak to them right now, God.
the band's gonna continue to worship, but I, I, before people leave, because if they gotta run to work or whatever, I, I wanna have one last prayer. Um, and that is for people that um, you need to surrender your life to Jesus right now. That you're not serving Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with him, and you might be a good person, and you might have great intentions, and, and that's all great, but, but when I say this, Jesus Christ is not inside of you, you're not serving him, you're, you're not living for him, you have sin in your life, and you need to repent of that and get it right right now. If that's you, can you just lift up your hand real quick? You say, I need to give my life to Jesus, I need to repent of something, I need to get it right in this moment right now, just lift up your hand all over this place. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. Awesome, amen, amen, amen. If that was you and you lifted up your hand, this two minutes of the service, this is the greatest miracle, this is the greatest thing, and so we wanna make sure that we, we set you up right. And so if you can, if you lifted up your hand, can you just meet me at the front really quick? One last prayer with you, and if you're up here, you don't have to leave, the band's gonna go back into worship. Um, I just wanna make sure that we get this in before we close. So if you lifted up your hand, you need to give your life to Jesus. Come meet me at the front, come meet me at the front. Don't be ashamed, there was like four or five hands that went up. Just, it's, it's, it's not awkward, just come on up. We've all made this, we've all done this. All right, well, I'm gonna pray this and I'm gonna go back to the guest room. If you lifted up your hand, because I saw four hands that went up, um, if, you, if you come back to the guest room and meet me, I just wanna shake your hand and I wanna let you know a next step for you to take. Um, if you've given your life to Jesus and be able to pray with you. So say this with me. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I give it all to you. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you were raised to life for me and that you have a plan for me. And I receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Band's gonna go back and worship. And look, if you need ministry time, please don't leave. But I will give you a couple announcements um, in case some people do have to leave. But if you wanna stay up here, this is the last service, so you don't have to be rushed. But youth camp, you need to sign up today. Uh, we have 107 spots. Um, the men's event, June the 2nd, right here at Church in the Sun. If you are a guest or if you raised your hand, I wanna just shake your hand. Can you meet me right back at the guest room? The band's gonna continue to go back into worship. And if you still need ministry or you want prayer, we're not rushing that. We'll stay right here for you. But you are dismissed. We love you. We love you.